You are listening to the Hippie Haven Podcast. I'm Callie, and it's my life mission to provide you with the tools and resources you need to spark positive change in your community. Just over three years ago, I started Bestowed Essentials, which has now grown to be South Dakota's largest handmade soap company, though we do make a variety of other beauty and cleaning products. Bestowed Essentials has been recognized by FedEx as one of their top 100 small businesses for two years in a row. My team and I also created the Hippie Haven Shop, an online zero-waste store with a physical store in South Dakota as well, and of course, I host this Hippie Haven podcast. If you're new here, I release an episode most Wednesdays, which you can get instantly downloaded to your phone for easy listening by subscribing to this podcast on any of the major podcasting apps. The show notes and full transcript for every episode are available on my website, hippiehavenpodcast.com. You can also learn more about me on the website or by following along on Instagram at hippiehavenshop. My guest today is Tamina Watson, owner of Watson Immigration Law. Tamina obtained her law degree in 2000 and became a barrister in London in 2002. She relocated to the United States in 2005, where she was admitted to the New York Bar in 2006. Prior to founding her law firm, Tamina was a partner at White & Watson until 2008, practicing exclusively in the area of U.S. immigration and naturalization law. Before that, Tamina externed with his honor Judge Ricardo Martinez at the District Court of Western Washington in downtown Seattle. Tamina is admitted to practice law in Washington State and the state of New York. She is also admitted to the Federal Court of Western District of Washington. Tamina currently serves as chair of the response committee of the Washington chapter of the American Immigration Lawyers Association, a committee she helped create after the November 2016 election. She currently serves on the board of trustee for the King County Bar Association. In addition, Tamina recently helped form a nonprofit organization called Widen, Washington Immigrant Defense Network, which combines skills of immigration and non-immigration lawyers to help detainees. Her other community activities include serving on the board of Point Hope, an organization that helps children. She is an active member of the pro bono community in Seattle and often provides free legal advice at local legal clinics. Furthermore, she is an active supporter of Chaya, a Seattle-based nonprofit organization that assists battered women from a South Asian background. Tamina serves as chair of the Legal Advisory Committee of the Global Entrepreneur and Residence Coalition. She is also a columnist with the Seattle Globalist. I am so honored to interview Tamina on the Hippie Haven podcast today as she teaches us about immigration law in the U.S. and how it's changed recently under the Trump administration. My guest today is Tamina Watson. She was a practicing barrister in the UK before immigrating to the US in 2005. She interned at the Northwest Women's Law Center, now known as Legal Voice, externed with his honor Judge Ricardo Martinez at the District Court of Western Washington, and was a partner at White & Watson, specializing in US immigration and naturalization law. Tamina then founded her own firm, Watson Immigration Law. She currently serves as the chair of the response committee of the Washington chapter of the American Immigration Lawyers Association, a committee she helped create after the 2016 election. She serves on the board of trustee for the King County Bar Association. In addition, Tamina recently helped form a nonprofit organization called Widen, Washington Immigrant Defense Network, which combines skills of immigration and non-immigration lawyers to help detainees. Her other community activities include serving on the board of Point Hope, an organization that helps children. She is an active member of the pro bono community in Seattle, including Northwest Immigrants Rights Project, One America, and others. 
Tamina serves as chair of the Legal Advisory Committee of the Global Entrepreneur in Residence Coalition. She is also a columnist with the Seattle Globalist. Finally, Tamina is author of a book titled The Startup Visa, Key to Job Growth and Economic Prosperity in America. In today's episode, we're talking about immigration reform, the Trump travel ban, the detention centers on the southern border, how the climate crisis will affect global migration, current American policy on climate refugees, and how you can try to change the mindset of someone who is anti-immigration. Let's get into today's episode. Tamina, tell me about your background and what made you passionate about immigration reform. Well, thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm so grateful to be here. You know, it's interesting. Immigration wasn't something I wanted to pursue. I I grew up in England. I was born and raised in the UK. And for, for some number of years, I lived in Bangladesh, the country that my parents are from. And so when I returned to London, you know, I, I was I had a lot of culturally enriched experience because I lived in South Asia. And when I got married, I got married to a US citizen. It just so happened that life, you know, happened that way. And I moved to America. And when I moved to America, I was a rather new UK lawyer. So I had to restart uh, the process here. And by that, I mean, I had to take the bar exams again. But I also had to go through the immigration process. And through that process, I had firsthand experience of what it takes to get through the frustrating and tedious, you know, immigration system that we have. And when I was looking for a job soon after I got my green card, which, you know, went hand in hand with my uh, passing the bar exams here as well, that I was looking for a job and I couldn't necessarily find one, but immigration kept coming my way. You know, two or three jobs in immigration kept following me and I really didn't want to do it and, and, and until I succumbed to it, thinking it's, you know, for the time being, it's a good thing to do. So once I actually started practicing immigration law, I realized why the universe kept um, making immigration follow follow me because it was my calling. When it comes to immigration, it's a fast moving, intellectually challenging area of law that affects somebody directly and you can see the result as you're helping them. So. What happened was all my desires to help people and be a lawyer were becoming true by practicing immigration law because I was really affecting people's lives. And when I say affecting, you're you're really affecting people's livelihoods. You know, either they're getting a work visa or a green card to live here and work here, or you're dealing with people's loved ones, husband, wife, parent, child, and so forth. So you're dealing with some of the most important things in people's lives. And you went from practicing immigration law to opening up your own law firm dedicated to immigration law. So can you tell me more about what inspired that transition in your career? I had grown up with the dreams of becoming a barrister with a white wig and a gown practicing in these, you know, gravitas, you know, areas in, in the in the UK, in London, and, and be practicing in, in the UK courts. But life just so happens to bring me to the US. And um, as I was starting my career in immigration law, I came to a junction where I had to make a decision about what I do next. Do I continue practicing? 
discussing with my ex-partner or do I go find a job somewhere? And at that time, my husband, who's incredibly supportive and encouraging, you know, encouraged me to try uh, starting my own firm and see, see what happens. And that's how it really happened. And here I am celebrating my 11th year of Watson Immigration Law. Wonderful. Congratulations. Thank you. What does a typical day look like at your law firm? Maybe not just for yourself, but for some of your employees as well. You know, that's such a good question because every day is so different. It depends on what cases uh, are coming in, what cases I am working on, and what what kind of community effort I'm involved in at the time. And so, for example, at the moment, I'm working with, um, under the, the Immigration Lawyers Association committee hat that I wear, one of the many hats I have, uh, I'm working with the City of Seattle, as well as the King County Bar Association here. So for, the, for this morning's uh, schedule, I was in meetings planning uh, legal clinics that would be for dreamers if the Supreme Court were to take away um, deferred action for childhood arrivals. And for my team, you know, it's interesting, everybody has a different role. And so my assistant, you know, she's dealing with a lot of client calls, whether they're prospective clients or current clients dealing with paperwork that are, that's coming in. For the other lawyer in our office, his name is Luca. He's a wonderful, thoughtful, compassionate lawyer just you know like all the Watson immigration law team and he's dealing with a lot of the current H1B you know chaos that's coming our way so every day is different it depends on what the current issues are what the trends are you know what kind of news is coming from the administration and who needs to know what when and how and so it's it's you know never a dull moment and we're always on our toes and in fact every morning I wonder what news I will have to deal with today. Can you tell us more about the public charge policy and what that entails? That's a really good question, and it's very complicated. Um, but in essence, the government wants to make sure that anybody who comes to the U.S. is going to be self-sufficient financially. And they're not going to look at just your, your money and your funds. They're going to look at various aspects of you as an individual. They will look at uh, one's education, one's work skills, one's health, one's age, and they're going to make a, a decision based on all of these uh, criteria. And, and they're going to look at that primarily to see if somebody is worthy of a green card. Uh, and green card is essentially permanent residence in the United States. And so there's a lot of fear about how people will get their green cards in the US and whether they would be eligible not. However, uh, people are not necessarily realizing that uh, work visas will have the same scrutiny, although they won't have to file a separate form like green card holders will or applicants will. Uh, but tourists will also have to uh, prove that they can financially maintain themselves much more than they need to now. And what's interesting is there is already uh, tests like this that exist. Uh, so for example, when I emigrated to the United States, my husband had to prove that he could financially um, maintain me, pay for my food and housing and all of that. And that 
is uh, and and the, there's a minimum income one has to show for that depending on how many people are in your household and uh, and so forth but what's interesting is that this new policy is going to make the prospective immigrant also fill out a very very complicated form with evidence of their education their health their age their skills but if the, you're in the US, you also have to prove that you have a credit report uh, and a lot of other burdensome documentation. So it will be very interesting to see how this is going to transpire. It's going to be a lot of work for those who are going to be applying for, for green cards, but some of the evidence may be impossible for some people to to. Um, obtain. Additionally, it's, it's going to be very difficult to see how immigration officers are going to adjudicate these types of cases because it's going to be subjective. You know, one person's uh, view of um, a candidate or applicant may not necessarily be the same as another. But what we do know is people who are older, people who have health issues, people who are also very young could fall into this um, test. And the test is, have you ever received or are you likely to receive any time in the future public benefits? Now, if you take the test of are you likely, that's when the test becomes very, very burdensome because, you know, one would be coming here if they're a child or older, that the likelihood of them um, getting public benefits will be scrutinized to, to you know, weigh on the side of caution for the immigration officer and likely deny cases. So in one fell swoop, the Trump administration has basically changed the face of immigration. And we will know how that unfolds as the rule gets implemented on February 24th. Oof, that just sounds so frustrating and like so much extra paperwork. It's it's a lot of paperwork. It's a lot of heartbreak. It's a lot of anxiety. And so these are very, very challenging times. And those who are uh, exempt, um, like refugees and asylees, there are a handful of categories that are going to be exempt. But the fear of this is even making those who will be exempt, you know, uh, pulling out of uh, some of the assistance that they're eligible for. So very, very trying times. And anybody who's interested in knowing more about this issue should sign up to our blog at www.watsonimmigrationlaw.com. Dot com. We write about these frequently because we have clients who are going to be affected, you know, uh, uh, across the board. Uh, and as this unfolds and as we see these adjudications coming along, we'll be able to update our, our clients and readers and listeners and so forth about what's going on. And we'll include the link to your website in the show notes so my listeners can click right over to it from their podcasting app. And this is a perfect transition into one of my next questions. Um, how is immigration to the U.S. going to be affected by the climate crisis? And then how will climate refugees be affected by policies such as this being implemented by the Trump administration? 
That is such a good question and such an important one, particularly in this uh, day, uh, present day history. You know, if you look at any country, whether it's the the Amazon burning or, you know, the Rohingya crisis, or you think about the the, um, the water of the Antarctic, you know, uh, glaciers melting, but people are being displaced everywhere. If you look at Europe, people are taking boats to get over to Europe. It's a very troubling time and it's going to continue to get worse. Now, America is one of the largest countries and one of the most powerful countries and it should take more refugees. Now, but when you look at the immigration system here, we have the legal immigration, something that we just talked about that would be affected by public charge. Uh, but there's the category for refugees is um, processed differently. And there are organizations that will assess people on the ground and then they get you know, screened um, many times over before they're allowed to come into the US. But what we have seen under this particular administration is that they have cut the number of refugees. And we have not taken many refugees in 2019. And that is a serious problem. It's a global problem. You know, if you look at countries that are taking refugees, they, they, they don't often have the ability, yet they have the heart. And we are lacking policies um, that will accept um, refugees. So, you know, voting has never been more important for the future of America, but also the future of the world, because America is a beacon of hope uh, for countries across the globe. And what we do is taken note of. Uh, and when you have nationalistic views, it, it seems like the, the world is going through some sort of wave of nationalistic views. If you look at India, if you look at China, if you look at different countries that, that in Europe, even there are these views, but it, it, it does, it's not it's, it's lacking humanity. So my hope is that anybody listening to your show now uh, will be advocates for uh, people. This is not just a refugee crisis. This is about people. Yeah. And I hope they will take heart and advocate for having a government that has a heart. You know, it, we as people need to care about others because we cannot exist in silo. And so my hope is that we have an administration that gives the rightful weight that is necessary to the refugee crisis, which is only going to get worse. And just to make sure I understand, does current American immigration policy consider climate displacement under refugee status? That's right. So there's no separate category for climate refugees. You have refugees as an umbrella uh, on its own. And so when people are looking at refugees coming to the US, they all fall under that one category. And so there's no separate umbrella for it, even though there really should be, uh, or there should be priorities uh, within the refugee category. But as we stand in this moment in history, America is reducing the number of refugees that it's taking in. What is one thing that you personally wish every American understood about immigration reform? Well, I think the first thing I would like everybody to appreciate is that we all come from somewhere. Uh, 
if you're not a Native American, then your ancestors have come to the US on a boat or through some other means. And when we have people say that, well, my grandparents came the legal way, the answer to that is there were no, you know, legal processes at the time. It was very simple. If those people were trying to get through into America, given the current laws, many people wouldn't make it. So the first thing to appreciate is we're all immigrants or descendants of immigrants. And that appreciation on its own should give people humanity and heart. And so I would want them to understand that. The second thing I want them to understand is, you know, immigration is good for America or any country because people, um, when, when immigrants come to the U.S., particularly, they're one of the hardworking group of people. And if you think about any industry, you know, we would suffer quite literally if we didn't have immigrants looking after some of these industries. If you look at the apple picking industry or the dairy farming industry, you know, they rely on immigrants. If you look at the tech industry, if you look at, you know, I t tell people, look at your phone. Just look at your phone. It's a simple thing to look at. If you look at the hardware, the software or the network, all of it is being operated by people who are immigrants. Now, the argument that immigrants are taking jobs away is absolutely not true because the, the skills that are necessary for these jobs don't necessarily exist within the population that would want these jobs. And so there is an argument about, you know, who has those skills and who wants those jobs. If you ask farmers who are farming agricultural lands, they will tell you that they cannot get workers, American workers, to do these jobs. If you go to um, uh, those elderly homes where you need 24-hour um, carers, they will tell you that they do not have American workers that they can hire. And so immigrants are absolutely important. And it's a bit like Hamilton, the musical where they say immigrants get the job, job done. It is absolutely true. So I think it's important for, for people to recognize the value of immigrants. And it's important to recognize that we are all immigrants. It's the be all and the end all of the discussion, in my opinion. Why is it that you think do you think that some first and second generation immigrants are now anti-immigration themselves? I wish I could answer that question. You know, it comes from, um, in my opinion, um, from, from their perspective of entitlement. And we are here, we don't want anybody else mm -hmm. here. And I don't think that's the right way that other human beings should be treated. If you think about this administration, they are stoking fear of people. And you just need to look at the border and how people are being treated. You know, we're recording this on Super Monday, the day after the Super Bowl. And it was just so interesting to see the halftime show that Jennifer Lopez and Shakira had put on because it was a, a reflection of, you know, uh, who we should be and what we're doing. And I wish I had an answer for you, but I, 
I, I, I do think people need to reflect uh, on their backgrounds, reflect um, on their ancestors, talk to their grandparents and understand how people arrived in the US and what that meant to them. Religious pro pro persecution uh, was how the first settlers had arrived from the UK. You know, and uh, if they hadn't come, uh, you know, the, the what we see today of America wouldn't be what it is today. Everything has been built on the, what our ancestors had done, uh, our forefathers had done. So I don't think people should take this for granted uh, and people should understand that, you know, we all do better when we all do better. Now, I'd like to dive into the Trump administration's travel ban and especially the recent changes that have been added to that. Can you help us understand more of what's going on with that area? Mm -hmm. Well, it's it's interesting what has transpired practically, you know, three years later. Um, when the administration came into office uh, on that very uh, first weekend, uh, the government had instituted their first executive order uh, of the travel, the first iteration of the travel ban where there were majority Muslim countries. And there were, you know, obviously litigation and there was a first iteration, second, second iteration. And what happened that the Supreme Court had allowed the last iteration to go into effect, which looked at the four corners of the executive order saying, well, for national security reasons, we're going to not allow these people from these um, countries to come in. And people may remember that the president had said during conversation that, well, he didn't want people coming from the you know, S-hold countries. And what we see three years later that the S-hold countries that was referred to as African countries have been put down into the latest travel ban um, list. And so the latest list includes Nigeria, Tanj Tanzania, uh, Sudan, uh, Myanmar, uh, and uh, a number, Eritrea, and I forget the other countries. Now, the question is what what's going to happen now? And what we know from the last three years that people from those countries will have a very difficult time coming into the US. Their visa applications will likely not be approved, um, even though the administration allowed for something called a waiver to apply to people, meaning that if you have ties to the US with a US citizen um, uh, spouse or, you know, or an employment, some people could come in. The um, proclamation that has come out, and I think it just came out on Friday, um, is going to make it even more restrictive. So the question that your listeners might be asking is, so what can I do? Um, the first thing is that we we have to see how they will roll it out, what kind of visa category that you're going to be under. For some of the countries, people are not going to be allowed to apply for the diversity visa anymore. But if somebody is trying to come into the country um, soon, there is a website uh, called Airport Lawyer. That's www.airportlawyer.org org. It's a it's a, plat a platform web platform that I help co-found with some uh, very eminent um, lawyers and technology companies uh, that assisted the first wave of uh, people affected by the travel ban uh, way back when you know when in 2017. 
and that allowed uh, passengers to come into the U.S. and be assisted by volunteer lawyers at the airport. Now, we don't know what the extent of that assistance is going to look like in this you know, iteration of the travel ban, but people should contact immigration lawyers, whether it's me or somebody else, but they should also keep an eye on the news, uh, definitely sign up to our blog, uh, because the government said they may not issue any more immigrant visas. Immigrant visas are those that allow people to get green cards. And so we don't know if there'll be a lawsuit that will come out, out you know, from this particular travel ban proclamation. It, it's going to unfold right before our eyes in the next few weeks and months. And so watch the space, reach out to, to me or other immigration lawyers, but definitely sign up to our blog and learn about airportlawyer.org. And I'm so glad that you brought up the airport lawyer organization. Um, you answered my next question for me, which was what individuals can do. And I also want to reiterate something that you had already said about another incredibly impactful thing for individuals to do is to vote for politicians who are committed to immigration reform. And as you said, who actually have a heart. Mm -hmm. um, and so with that said, I, I want to move into how can somebody change their family or friends anti-immigration views or mindset? Uh, you know, that's a, a challenge in this uh, moment in history. However, it's not impossible. And I think, you know, if you have friends and family uh, that are willing to speak with you and engage in dialogue, I think you've just got to explain the, the humanity of it. You know, we're all human beings. We all have, we all need to eat food. We all need to breathe the air. We all have, you know, a lot of us have children. All of our cares and worries and life challenges are the same. And so, you know, having engaging in a reasonable, articulate dialogue is the only thing you can do. But I do want to emphasize that self-care is also very important. There are a lot of people that are um, against immigration are actually diehard you know, um, in their views. And what I have found is some people will not listen. And in that case, that once you've been able to engage in that dialogue, and if you see that there's some light uh, and you can persuade this person about the, the goodness that immigration brings. Um, and legal immigration, you know, a lot of people will say that, well, go to the back of the line. Why, you know, go out of the country, come back legally. There are so many procedural hurdles with that. That going back to the line doesn't solve the problem. There is no line. It's immigration reform that is absolutely necessary to fix the problems. And so... If one finds that you've engaged in dialogue and it, it's not necessarily going anywhere, I think it's very important to preserve your own sanity and put your, put your energy in the vote that is necessary as the next step. And one last topic, I suppose. Um, what resources or recommendations do you have for individuals to be able to fight against the detention centers on the southern American border and try to do something about the innocent children who are being held hostage? That is such a good question. Um, you know, the first thing you can do is make sure you contact your senators and your congress 
um, representatives because they need to hear from you and you need to uh, make sure that they represent your views. Ultimately, they've been voted to represent your views, but we have politicians who are not doing that. So it's important you raise your voice that way. The second thing you can do is donate to organizations that are on the ground. There's races, there is um, uh, Al Atrolado, there are other organizations that are assisting people right there uh, um, at the border. There's also an organization called Kids in Need of Defense, KIND, and you can find their website and donate to them. So donation is one of the things you can do. The other thing you can do is actually go to the border and provide assistance. And now a lot of the assistance is necessary in the, in, in legal services. But, you know, a lot of um, organizations are taking, um, you know, laymen who are not lawyers to assist uh, with the, you know, people in the in the camp. Uh, and so that's something else that you can do. But advocating is one of the most important things to do. But I will say that, you know, there are organizations that are in your local area. And so what is happening at the border is a travesty, no question. But people are also being detained in your local state, in your local city. And there are organizations that are fighting people, the administration right on the ground. So if you want to be able to help, you know, and get your hands dirty, you can probably find organizations in your locality. And so one of the things that I will mention is that the detention issue is a really problematic one. Uh, you, this administration's funnel is really ending at the detention center. They're trying to detain as many people as possible because, you know, there's an invisible evil organization that is making a lot of money from these detention centers. And, and so a lot of people are being detained, yet they don't have representation. And so through all the pro bono work that I have been doing since this administration came along, I started a nonprofit. You know, this is on top of my day job and all of the community work I do. Uh, and the nonprofit is called Washington Immigrant Defense Network. And the website is called Widen Law dot org and what we're doing is training lawyers who are not immigration lawyers in removal defense that is the type of law that is applied in immigration courts and we are training and mentoring these lawyers so we can have more immigration lawyers in the immigration courtroom but what we have found is that non-lawyers have been able to assist in some of our cases as well whether it's taking our clients from one you know, place to another place once they are released um, or, you know, housing them and feeding them in between, um, you know, um, the venues that they need to be at. If you have miles, for example, you could donate them to miles for migrants because, you know, a lot of clients who come out uh, from detention centers sometimes have to go from one state to another and they don't have the funds for it. There are means and organizations in which you can assist as a non-lawyer and actually have meaningful assistance. And so find those. One of the things that's happening, there are a lot of trending issues. One of them is uh, in Seattle, for example, that's where I am, a lot of applicants will have to go to different cities to um, undertake interviews, whether it's for citizenship or different types of cases. And they may not be able to afford traveling 
from one city to another. And so there could be a, a team of people that, that get together uh, through church groups or local book groups, and, and they can create a roster in which they can help transport one person to another, one place to another. So there might be... Um, efforts going on in your local area in which you can actually provide meaningful assistance in addition to you know donating so look out for those and if you're in washington state i would say um, you can you know definitely look up widen uh, our website is widenlaw.org but there are many other organizations that you can volunteer with and at this time in history collaboration is everything we all need to come together to fight the administration because what they are throwing at us is incessant and it is you know it's there's a book called the shock doctrine if anybody is interested i would you know recommend the book the shock doctrine that is written by a, a journalist and professor named naomi klein and she essentially describes um this th theory that when governments want to make a big change they keep people in shock because if the people are in shock, they will not be able to handle or even see the bigger changes that are going on. And that's the system that we are in now. So collaboration is important, but self-care is also important for every single one of us, whether we are a lawyer or not a lawyer. Tamina, I can't even begin to express what an honor it was to be able to talk with you this evening and to have you share everything, the work that you do is so powerful and so impactful impactful and you are an incredible human being and um just thank you so much where can we go to learn more about you and to support the work that you're doing well thank you so much again Callie for having me on your show I'm so grateful for the opportunity to have shared some of this um my work website aka my day job is um my law firm Watson Immigration Law and the website is simply that www.watsonimmigrationlaw.com and you can sign up to our blog there you can find out more about myself and you can learn about the podcast that I host as well which is called Tamina Talks Immigration for my non-profit work that I do the website is called widenlaw.org and if people want to donate or learn more we also have a Facebook page for that too but it, it's it's so important to just be aware and one of the good places to get information on immigration is the American Immigration Lawyers Association website which is AILA dot org they have a public facing page where there is a lot of news updates about what's going on in the policy changes and what kind of fight we are fighting so anybody who needs more information are welcome to to contact me um, but the website my work website would be the first place to visit perfect and we'll end it right there well thank you Callie. i'm so grateful such thoughtful questions Really appreciate it. And that is a wrap. If you know someone who'd enjoy the Hippie Haven podcast, share it with them or share it on social media. If you post on Instagram, don't forget to tag and follow me as well at Hippie Haven Shop. This podcast is produced with the help of my amazing communication coordinator, Ray Lynn, who also runs our Hippie Haven Facebook group, which if you haven't already joined, definitely hop on over to Facebook, search Hippie Haven in the groups tab, and join our private community of fellow hippies trying to make a difference in our communities. You can also support our work here at Hippie Haven by leaving a review for the podcast in whichever app you're using to listen, or buy us a virtual cup of coffee to keep us going. 
Visit buymeacoffee.com forward slash hippie haven to support the work we do with just $4. Thank you so much for spending this time with me. I hope you have a great rest of your day.